podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. No matter what you want to believe, the fact is that we are very powerful beings and together we are creating this reality. Valeria Tellez interviews Penny Kelly, the author of Consciousness and Energy, Volume 1, Multidimensionality and a Theory of Consciousness. Penny Kelly is a writer, teacher, author, publisher, consultant, naturopathic physician, and researcher of consciousness. Early in her career, she was an engineer for Chrysler Corporation, but left there in 1979 after a full spontaneous awakening of Kundalini to study the brain, consciousness, intelligence, intuition, and cognition. This was followed by 18 years of work as an educational consultant specializing in accelerated and brain-compatible teaching and learning, working with both schools and corporations. After purchasing acreage in 1987, she raised grapes for Welch Foods for a dozen years while also building Lily Hill Farm, now a large B&B. She worked with Dr. W.M. Levengood, biophysist for 15 years, studying materials from crop circles and animal mutilations and researching plasma, energy, and consciousness. Penny was involved in community gardening in Kalamazoo and Battle Creek, Michigan through grants from the Kellogg Foundation. And she was a member of the Tipping Point Network, whose focus is sustainability in all sectors of life. She maintains a worldwide counseling and coaching practice, teaches a half dozen courses in developing intuition, as well as courses in organic gardening and getting well again naturally. She produces regular videos for Patreon, YouTube, and BitChute and travels widely to speak and teach. Penny holds a degree in humanistic studies from Wayne State University and a degree in naturopathic medicine from Clayton College of Natural Health. She is the mother of four children, has co-written or edited 23 books with others, and has written nine books of her own, The Evolving Human, The Elves of Lily Hill Farm, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes, Getting Well Again, Naturally, From the Soil to the Stomach, 
four volumes of Consciousness and Energy series, and Child of the Brown Earth, a small book of poems about connecting to Mother Nature. Meet Penny at ConsciousnessOnFire.com. Here is the interview with Penny Kelly. In your own words, who is Penny Kelly? In my own words, um, I'm a I'm a teacher, I'm a writer, and I'm here to teach the world about the mind and consciousness. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I'm busy doing 59 other things <laughs> in the middle of all of them. So, the book that I'll be asking you questions about, exploring some of the topics, is Consciousness and Energy, Volume 1, Multidimensionality and a Theory of Consciousness. So the first question for you, Penny, had to be this one, what is consciousness? But also, have you found a simple way to explain what it is? Yeah, it, consciousness is energy. And it is inherent in the frequency waves that people are made of. Consciousness is everywhere and everything is conscious. Everything is alive. And because everything is made of frequency, everything has consciousness. That's the laboratory definition at this point. Is everything conscientious about this energy force in them, the life force in them, or they just exist? Um, Probably the best way to answer that question would be to say, yes, everything is consciousness and conscious, but they don't have human consciousness. Once you get to a point where you're looking at consciousness across the spectrum, the consciousness of a stone is not very interactive. (laughs) Consciousness of of a chimpanzee is much more interactive. The consciousness of a bear it depends on the mood and the training and the upbringing and the, you know, whatever's going on with that bear at that time. And that's also true for humans. There's, con- there's a huge range of consciousness in humans. And some people like to communicate and some people are what I call crabby patties. And they are better left alone. <laughs> um, or at least use your intuition to to assess whether they're in the mood for any kind of communication or interaction. So would you say consciousness and intuition, they are the same? Yeah, not quite. So consciousness is inherent in the frequency. And so we are made of a whole range of frequencies. and, And so our consciousness, the kind of consciousness we have as humans, is the sum total of the interactions of all those frequencies. And then intuition is really um, the the interpretation of what you know from within. So the conscious, you're going to have this frequency set. I call it a 
you know, you're a sphere of this whole ball of frequencies and whatever is in that, it's kind of like cake, you know, you put in eggs, you put in flour, you put in sugar and maybe baking powder. Um, And so you get different kinds of cake depending on what you put in it. And you get different kinds of, of consciousness depending on the assembly of frequencies that make up the individual. And so a plant has a different kind of of some total than an animal or a human. So when you talk about intuition, um, what you're talking about is an ability to assess, To um, let me say it this way. So to be intuitive, to actually be intuitive, you have to um, take your entire frequency set and match it to some other frequency set. And that other frequency set could be across the room, it could be across the country, it could be across the solar system. Once you match that, you retain the, I'll say the flavor, you retain the information for a few moments, and that becomes part of your knowing from within. And that's what intuition is. It's knowing from within. And people are very intuitive, and they don't Understand, either they don't understand it or they don't pay attention to it or they don't believe in it because it hasn't been taught um, and it's been poo-pooed a lot and so it doesn't go very far with them. But once you get involved with it in a very formalized and ongoing way, um, the only thing you can really know is what you are able to uh, perceive, which means that you have to match up your frequencies with something outside yourself and then assess what does that mean to you. And if you've been you know, raised to be highly biased, it's going to mean those biases in a lot of cases. If you're open, then it may mean something else. So it's not consciousness itself, but it's um, a way of accessing parts of that consciousness that we have within parts of those frequencies, not all, because, yeah, that must be the most complex thing to understand with the mind. Well, one of the things to keep in mind is when you want to be intuitive and you want to do that all the time or be intuitive all the time, you have to be absolutely, utterly silent so that your frequencies within are quiet and you live in this little pool of peace. And, and so I'm in that pool of peace. All, all the time. I mean, my kids can get me out of it in a hot second, but, <laughs> but you stay in that pool of peace most part. And when something comes across your the surface of your water, uh, a ripple, um, you know, something, and let's say there's nothing going on around you. Let's say somebody is just thinking about you. And I actually figured this out when I spent a number of years studying telepathy. When that, when somebody thinks about you, they literally tune in to your frequency set and it causes a little bit of a disturbance. And so training yourself to be intuitive involves training yourself to notice how you are how you are, how you are, minute by minute by minute. And then all of a sudden, when something totally off the wall comes in, you know that there's a message coming in from somebody and you'll know kind of who it is because you get a picture, you'll get a sound, you'll get a feeling. Um, Sometimes you get a smell or a taste. 
and um, and so that's how telepathy works, and and so the more you can stay quiet, the more you can access out there, um, and you have to let go of all of your preconceptions and all your biases and all your preferences. Um, you cannot let go of your ethics and your values and your morals, or you you get lost. You get lost. Okay. <laughs> But um, but that's really essentially um, what's happening when you um, stay very quiet and, and you become very intuitive all the time. It means that you don't have a whole lot going on inside of you. And so you're open to whatever's coming in. And there's stuff coming in all the time. And it's coming from all over this, the cosmos. Would you say that developing intuition is the best way to access uh, consciousness in us, or even change and shift consciousness. It's a, it is a way of doing that. Um, there's a lot of ways. Um, whenever you are trying to be more intuitive, uh, you're you're going to end up expanding your consciousness. And for most people, consciousness is a little tiny slice of a few things they might be experiencing. Our basic being is a feeling being because we are mostly feeling frequencies exist and when the, when they're moving you feel them <laughs> it's too simple almost yeah. to even communicate but um when you are trying to stay or or when you're trying to expand your consciousness that means you have to open to all sorts of new and other kinds of information and perspective doesn't mean you have to embrace it just means you have to open and and listen and what happens generally is that you drop most of your your biases most of your fears most of your you know all that junk that we carry the baggage that we bring from our childhood we drop most of that just naturally would you say it takes trust trusting yeah this training, this listening to that voice, the inner voice, I think you call it inner teacher. I love the way you say it. Yeah, yeah it's the, the inner teacher begins to step forward the more quiet you become. Um, and that inner teacher is a lifesaver in so many ways. Um, I have a million stories about that. But yes, <laughs> the, um, that inner yeah. teacher is very, very powerful and um and that it's that's one of the goals and trust um you can't well let me say it this way when i when i start working with my students in the very first class it's all about trust and they have to perform yeah. <laughs> and they're always afraid what if i say something that's not right and they, they get that fear of I don't have the right answer because that's kind of a legacy of public schools or even private schools. There's only one right answer. And if you don't have it, you flunk. And so I have no patience with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, right. I start teaching people to trust what's coming and to interpret what's coming because a lot of information, especially if you have fears about seeing too much like I did in the beginning, oh my I did not want to know. I didn't want to know anything outside the little world that I wanted. And that made for a huge amount of difficulty <laughs> for me um, in the imagine. beginning. Yeah. What is like to research and study consciousness? 
Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, well, I, I can only answer from my point of view, but I'll say like a little list of things. So um, when I started, it was because of Kundalini, massive Kundalini that started opening and wouldn't wouldn't stop. And that one, it still goes on, but it's not as bad as it was in the beginning. And you have to deal with that because it brings unlimited consciousness. And that is consciousness without any boundaries. And I could not tell because I had so little experience and so many fears in the beginning. I couldn't tell what was real and what I knew intuitively and what somebody had actually told me or what I had actually observed in the physical world or what I had observed in on my screen, on my mental screen. I guess I, I call it my screens. I have eight screens that I watch. Um, and, and so that was a huge difficulty. Um, I think probably um, one of the things I would say that happens when you start to awaken um, to what is, is you you see what is without all the filters and the blinders and all the programming that you have grown up with. And so all that is falling away and you have nothing to hang on to. Um, so um, let's see. Oh my gosh, there's so much I could say. I can, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I can understand. I'm just trying to get the audience to understand what it feels like, what is like to be groundless. There's nothing that holds us here as we know. Yeah, when that happens, you are able to see and hear and experience anywhere in space and time. And if you are um, a curious kid like I was, you know, I was all over the place. So I wonder what this, or I wonder, mm-hmm. what, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's terrible. And then I would see the opposite of that thing I thought was terrible. And then I'd be like, now, what, what was I just seeing? Or you would see, you'd be talking to somebody and they would shift and um, you would see them as they had been. Usually, usually what I saw was the person that was in front of me was somebody that I had dealt with in other lives. And I would suddenly see them in that life. And then I was, because I didn't know what was happening to me. I I just thought I was losing my mind. But I thought, um, what happened? What happened to, you know, what happened to Tom? (laughs) (laughs) Where did he go? Who's that? And and so it was just this crazy making time. Um, You could hear conversations across the city. Um, you could experience things in many dimensions. You could be in two or three places at once. Um, and one of the issues of boundaryless consciousness is that when you go to bed at night, consciousness has no need to sleep. Mm, right. Only the body needs to sleep. And so I put myself to bed and then there I'd be wide awake. I did not sleep for three years. That was very, very stressful. That's a long time. Yeah, and when people would say to me, how did you know that? You know, who told you that? That's not true. I would be like, oh, but you told me that. And and that was like, oops, did they tell me that or did I just know that? And so you had to be careful. But eventually you come to trust what you know and you learn to shut your mouth. Um, and that makes a huge difference. 
So would you say it's similar to the experience some of us had with psychedelics? Yes, and with some qualifications. Um, I never really got a chance to experiment with the psychedelics, but I wish I had. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll give you a glimpse. (laughs) Yeah, so the the thing that, that I've noticed is the psychedelic could be an antibiotic or it could be a painkiller um, if you've had surgery, or, or, or. Um, it could be a food, it could be anything. But when, when things happen naturally, you have a little more control if you have a little bit of, uh, be a, a little bit of a habit of being self-possessed. In other words, you don't freak out when something shifts and, and you find yourself in some other place. Um, you you can eventually what I learned to do was to begin to um, operate in a number of different dimensions at one time and to realize that what was happening in one flowed through to the others in an energetic kind of way, not not exactly the same, but energetically. And depending on how the language of the energy was used in each one of those dimensions, um, you get this amazing uh, set of bridges between what we consider to be our normal everyday reality and the other dimensions that we inhabit and have uh, another version of ourself living in. Um, but we're getting into some pretty sophisticated stuff there. <laughs> and so I like to stay in the simple, the beginning stuff for for most uh, conversations, because otherwise it's people just get boggled. They're like, oh my gosh. And the research, um, I want to go back to the question you asked about the research. Uh, What is it, you know, being involved, was involved in that? Um, I started with that whole Kundalini thing, having to write down what was happening. And so just so that I could get it out of me. And that then started this habit of putting a date and a time and a description on a piece of paper. And um, and then when I um, I took one class, in, maybe two classes, in from this little gal over in the Thumb area of Michigan. She was teaching at Macomb County Community College. And she was teaching a class in psychic development. And she got us to start keeping track of our dreams. She said, you have to remember what you dream because you're not really dreaming. You have, that's one eighth of your, or one third of your consciousness, eight hours a day that you're spending. If you want to expand your consciousness, you start remembering your dreams and, and analyzing what are you doing in that reality? What are you doing with your consciousness over there? And so that was that started me. I now have had 40 years of, of research in tracking dreams and numerous, numerous uh, different, wow, lots of different states of consciousness. And then I also worked in a laboratory with Dr. William Levengood, who was studying people who had unusual abilities. And I spent 15 years working with him he was studying me. He was also teaching me um, plasma physics because we. he was onto this strange new energy that he was picking up in everything. People, plants, animals, stones, water, um, you name it, the collective. 
And um, and so that 15 years of research was um, very intense and I learned a lot. And what I saw um, was that plasma, everybody is made of plasma. That's a form of, a, of matter uh, that is not really quite as solid as we are. It's not as dense, uh, but it responds immediately and directly to consciousness, to communication, to direction. And so we did some work with that, learned how to track the collective consciousness and what was happening in the whole group. So there, there's all kinds of levels of research that I've been in from the deeply, deeply personal to research with my students, to research in a lab, to people researching me. So what do you think, how do you think we have chosen to focus on this reality? How did this happen? Um, I think this is a fabulous reality. I think it's amazing. When you have experiences in other places, what you learn almost immediately is that their sense of time is different. Their programming, their interpretation of events and things that are happening is different. And they and the stability of that other place is also different. And the continuity of events is different. And so we when we come here, what I've observed is that we we mostly come here because we want to make a core change. We want to um, have the time and and make the effort to have some kind of experience that is going to force us to change at the core. It, it changes your perception. It changes your feeling. It changes your behavior. It's kind of an aha moment. Um, and that core change is you have to have enough energy to be able to make that core change. And in other systems, you're holding yourself in a particular arrangement of perceptual and consciousness frequencies. And here, they kind of hold all by themselves. <laughs> so you're free to set something up that will, um, that will bring about a change in you without having to spend all your energy just trying to make the reality be stable enough for you to get this thing set up to change you. And I hope that makes sense. Um, so. It does, yeah. That makes me think about purpose, the unique gifts that we all have and the purpose of life as we often talk about. Yeah. Is that related to the energy of trying to change something? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'll see. Um, I have some um, categories that I have kind of put out there, put together. Um, people come in to be let's say, a farmer or to be a policeman or to be a writer or to be a teacher or a president or, a, you know, somebody who just works in an office or a housewife or whatever. Um, and they pick those roles because there's a, a certain kind of of um, mindset and thinking and programming and perception that goes with that, that helps them make the core change they're trying to make. Um, a lot of people talk about karma. I don't see karma the way other people see it at all. Uh, karma is just a failure to assess 
what you just experienced and then forgive yourself if you if you've flubbed it up um it's not something that you'll have to pay and pay and pay and pay and and when you fail to forgive yourself you will come back and try to fix it and when you come back to try to fix it you end up often caught in the same thing because you haven't made the core change and and so it becomes a vicious cycle and so the secret to ending karma is forgive yourself forgive yourself that's where you were at we are human and there's no need to be punishing ourselves for where we were at 100 or 200 years ago. Although I will say a lot of times people will take an event that, you know, that they instigated and it was disastrous for a lot of people. And they'll truly not understand how that happened. And so they'll come back and take different roles in order to get that understanding as part of a learning setup. Um, and so there is some of that, but by and large, karma is like, no, no, <laughs> not there. Just forgive yourself. What is your idea of love? What love is to you, Penny? Um, love is a force and it's a way, it's, love is an honest response yeah. hmm. using <laughs> your wisdom, your grace, and your power. And wisdom is the ability to see the bigger picture and, you know, and not go off half-cocked over something that's really a tempest in a teapot. Grace is the ability to get in line with where the energy is going. And, um, you know, those two things alone really make a huge, huge difference. So um, when, when we have something that we want to, um, there's romantic love. Uh, that a lot of people think that's what love is. I think that that's mostly programming by nation states, and, and it changes over the centuries yeah, right. <laughs> as to what that's love true. means, etc. Um, <laughs> but real love, um, the kind that let let me say, let me just give a little example. This is uh, an experience that I had. Um, not in this reality, so I have to qualify that. But I was uh, arguing with one of my own teachers about uh, their statements about love. And, and so I kept saying, well, what if this? Well, what? So the example I gave was, well, what if somebody's trying to shoot me? Am I supposed to turn around and say, oh, I love you? And, and the answer was a demonstration of these three beings who uh, one had a gun and one was standing there and the other one was kind of observing and talking to me. And the one who had the, um, who was the target of the one with the gun said, okay, shoot. And I'm freaking out over this whole thing. And, and so the, the guy who shot the gun, you know, he shot it. <laughs> the guy who he shot it at reached out and caught that bullet, handed it back to him and said, no, no, I would never let you do anything that would bring harm to you or that you would have to pay for. And I was just kind of blown away by the whole thing, by the idea that somebody had enough presence of mind to be thinking about what's the result, how's that guy going to feel if he shoots somebody and having been, I was married to a Detroit cop for a number of years. Um, I know what, what they go through 
when they shoot somebody and the person dies. It's not easy. Um, and it, and so that's that, that was a really powerful demonstration of, no, I, I love enough to make sure that you don't do anything that harms you. And that that kind of response is usually practiced by um, people who have become eternal beings. And I think that's where we're going as humans. We are be, we are moving toward becoming enlightened. Enlightened means literally to turn to light. And it has nothing to do with intellectual or um, spiritual. People don't really, I don't think, understand what spirituality really is. But um, that is what love in action is about. And having the power to do that just blew me away. When you talk about love, it came to mind the word harmony for some reason. You know, Valeria, when I was having a conversation um, with one of my teachers in the early years, I would be like, well, what if this happens? Well, they would say, just do this. <laughs> Just do this. And I would, blah, 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 and I present all these arguments and what if scenarios, and they wouldn't respond. And I, that went on for like 20 years, that same kind of argument. And I would think, you know, they're ignoring what I'm asking. And it took a long time for me to understand that they don't engage all of that negative possibility on purpose. That's part of their discipline. And that's part of what love is. It's a refusal to engage the negativity um, and to come up with other solutions uh, when you're faced with a negative scenario. And because they're eternal beings, um, they don't seem to have any, I won't say they don't have any concern, but they, um, they have this ability to regenerate themselves from scratch. And that is, pre it's pretty mind-blowing when you witness something like that. And, and I think that's where we are headed as a population. And I think that's the shift, the step that we're making in this, in this time. That's the you know, big lesson that we're having right now is, are we going to descend into war and fighting and all that crap? Or are we going to hold our own and say, let's let things work out? Let's, you know, let, let's not jump into some kind of fight. Um, it'll be okay. We just need to fall in love again. And I, and I think it's coming. I had a vision just a week ago, week and a half ago. That was very, very powerful. Like, oh, okay. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. So we are, what's happening now has the... Uh, a purpose. It does. Yeah. It does. Mm. And I think it's going to teach us something very powerful about ourselves as a group, because we are here making this reality system. Um, we're creating it. And um, and we, we're all here. We're all here alone together. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Alone you together. come in alone, you go out alone, and the can do your perception for you while you're here. And so you're alone. And when you've had moments of being um, in altered states in which you are totally, completely alone, you learn the, uh, the immense gratitude for even one other, even if that other is, a, is crabby <laughs> and okay. difficult. 
it's like, oh my gosh, I, I'm so glad you're there. You know, <laughs> whatever they have to say or do. And, and, and we are also learning, I think that um, we all want the same thing. Maybe not in terms of presidents, but the, the big thing is we all want the same kind of a better life and you know, a more expansive, more powerful consciousness. We might not be choosing that, but this is what we want, right, essentially. That's right. And I think we, we're going to get there. We'll get there. Uh, that sounds exciting, isn't it? And different, fun. <laughs> It is. It really is. And I think there just haven't been enough voices saying, now just, just, just watch, just watch, let it, you know, let yourself love. I tell this to my kids all <laughs> let yourself love and let love change you. Mm, yeah. So it's, um, you have to trust your own love. Mm, oh, That's wow. really a piece. For you, what is to be spiritual in the practice of spirituality? What does it look okay. like? <laughs> I'll say what it's not, and then I'll say what it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So what it's not is uh, is subscribing to a particular attitude or a particular kind of ism or some kind of behavior, or it's not necessarily sitting on a cushion and and chanting Om, you know, <laughs> every day or whatever. <laughs> Um, it's none of those things. The The true spirit of yourself lives inside of you. And that true spirit is usually going to be um, something that wants to be either a great adventurer or wants to be uh, somebody who sits and crochets all day or wants to um, make shoes or would love to travel and meet people or wants to write or wh whatever that thing is inside of you, that's your true spirit of yourself. And, and true spirituality is when you begin to develop that self. So if you become that wacky, refusing to go along with the program and, and pay all the bills, maybe, which <laughs> be careful about that, because um, I did all that and that's, um, there's easier ways. But true spirituality is the development of the true spirit within yourself, letting that come forward. We often think of that as the shadow side or the side that we try to repress because we have a husband or a wife, we have kids, we have a house payment, we have a job, we have car payment, we have um, responsibilities. And so we got into all that and set up the structure of our lives before we were ever given encouragement or, or permission to develop the true spirit of ourself and then find someone that was compatible with that. So the work of really becoming spiritual is beginning to work your way into that true self without, hopefully without destroying everything and everybody that you've done so far. And, and yes, sometimes you do have to stand alone. Sometimes you do have to step away and say, you know, I don't hate you. I'm trying to love me. I'm trying to love the real me. The person you are married to is not who I really am deep inside. And I need to bring that person forward. And I'm afraid you won't love me if, <laughs> if I do that. That's everybody's fear. But that is true spirituality. And then from that grows this tremendously powerful, wise, 
um, individual who's been through the fire, who's taken that journey, the journey within, um, the hero's journey is what Joseph Campbell called it. Um, and you will cry. You will suffer a little bit on that journey, maybe a lot. I suffered a lot. I lost everything, everything. But I have to say it was worth it. Was worth it. It was worth every step. It was worth every tear. It was worth every curse. It was worth every threat. Um, and, and what I learned eventually was how to love in such a way that all of that turned and became appreciative of what I was demonstrating instead of being angry at what they first perceived me to be ripping up and destroying. What is healing to you, Penny? What comes to mind? Healing is when you become all that you really are. You become whole, whole and complete. Um, when that happens, your body may heal, may or may not heal. Usually it does. Um, if you're here to teach somebody a lesson by leaving early, then you may not actually have a physical healing if there's something disastrous going on but we're not meant to die like we're dying especially not at 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 we are meant to live uh i think it's 10 times our age at puberty so if you were 14 at puberty you should live to be 140 without any difficulty without doing anything unusual and uh, that there's records of people that lived 150, 160, 180 years. Um, why? Because they were following the laws of nature. They were not caught up in a fancy, got to keep up with the Joneses kind of civilization. And uh, healing is um, when you heal, you become content. I'm really content deep in yourself with who you are and how you are. Um, and yet you're still open to learning. So if you're talking about mental healing or emotional or spiritual healing or physical healing, there's different things that I could say about each one. But when you're really healed, you're whole and complete in all four of those uh, components are in absolute and utter harmony and um, and there's this grace and, like I said, wisdom, grace, and power that surrounds and fills you. You are um, attuned to this body. The body is your vehicle. And what does it need? You are attuned to what's going on in your thinking. You are attuned to every nuance of what you are feeling. And you don't try to tell yourself, no, don't feel that. Stop that. Don't feel bad. You stop all that and you feel everything. And then spiritually, um, you begin to be who you really are. So that's the, the broad definition of healing. And when you have, a, when you enter into the God state, which is what Kundalini does, you discover that you're made of this core bliss. And that bliss exhibits itself as this contentment and satisfaction and joy. And you can keep a toe in that forever. 
Once you've experienced mm-hmm. it, you yeah. never forget. <clears throat> never. So you just kind of stay there and it's part of your experience. And so for me, what's going on around me is I tell my students, it's very interesting, but I keep my toe in that joy, that pool of peace, that bliss. And I enjoy um, all of the uproar that goes on around me. It's like, isn't this amazing? Right, right. <laughs> and I'm not caught in it. I have to ask the last warm-up question is freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Um, it's the ability or the, the willingness or the permission that you give yourself to be who you really are, to say what you really think to know what you want to know, to go where you need to go and to do what you need to do. That's true freedom. How did you become a writer, Fanny? <laughs> well, um, at, when Kundalini was still had such um, difficult, it was a difficult beginning. It was a difficult birth, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I realized after maybe a year or two, oh my gosh, what if there's other people out there going through this? Um, I couldn't find any help. I couldn't find any information. I was running back and forth to the doctor and the psychologist and the therapist, you know, can you help me? And they they were well-meaning, but they hadn't a clue, had never, and I didn't have the language and I didn't know what was happening either. It took me about two years before I re- I uh, ran across something that described Kundalini, and I was like, "Oh my, there's a word for this. This is this is it's a thing. It's real." And so I started writing. Um, I I started with the Evolving Human. Um, the Evolving Human was my first book, and it was a hundred percent an attempt to share what goes on in a full um, awakening of consciousness. And how diff- how life threatening it is, how difficult it is, and there's you don't. A lot of people have said to me, "Well, couldn't you just this?" And I'm like, "Ah, uh, no, <laughs> no," because what you realize is that you're made of energy, and you're built to unfold. And there's a you're like an oak tree, and, and you you start as an acorn. And you put some water in it uh, or around it and you put it in the ground so it's dark and can germinate. And pretty soon it starts to swell and then it cracks and then it busts out and then there's things sticking out, you know, seedlings. And then there's stuff hanging off of that. There's leaves and then branches. And and then it's got this whole system. We are the same thing. We are built to unfold to these magnificent beings of light and wisdom, all all knowing, all powerful, and everywhere present. And we die at 70, 75, before we even get halfway to our normal lifespan. And so we never get to touch or experience that kind of unfolding and, and the challenges that it brings, but the promise that it holds. So that's how I started writing. It was like, okay, but I, you know, and, and I was also aware of, I went through all, you, you onion peel back through all the stages of your life. And as I onion peeled back, 
um, I became I became very very aware of what could go wrong because <laughs> because um, a lot can go wrong and so I wrote up you know at, at the tail end of evolving human I, here's what happens when life unfolds very well and here's what happens when it doesn't and um, yeah it, it was just an attempt to say go back and and correct you can correct anything mm. anything. Uh, would you call this reality a dream? Uh, yes, I do. When you begin to be able to be aware, or people say lucid, when you begin to be able to be in your dream, and you know that you're dreaming, and it's entirely real, and you're living that dream with um, with awareness, that then you're when you're in that other place in that other self having that other experience <laughs> what you realize is that you have a body and it's probably either in a bed or on a sofa or in a you know a comfortable place taking a nap or sleeping and um and that whole life that that body is having is its own dream and so it becomes very obvious that it's all a dream. And what you do in one dream, I mean, you're not a saint in one dream. A, a dream will happen in another dimension um, and a, a sinner in another. You're pretty consistent with how you create. Um, you can go backward and forward in terms of development and um, you know, your your ability to understand what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you trying to make happen? Um, but that th what you realize is that it's all a dream. It's all created. And once you understand how the brain works in the eyes um, and the nature of reality, then it, we we're able to explain now why this is a dream. Um because we live in this soup, this amazing energetic soup, and we're pulling stuff out of the soup left and right. We do that with our consciousness and our eyes and our voice and our ears and our emotions. And, and so after a while, there's not even any argument. It's, uh, it's all a dream. Right. It's a beautiful, wonderful dream, and mm. we could be creating so much more smoothly <laughs> than we are. <laughs> than we so. have, right. I agree. Yeah, I do have a few more questions for you. Would you like to add anything, Penny, or read a passage in your book? I, I, well, I don't even have the book in front of me. So um, I think if there is anything that I would add... Um, it would be the encouragement to take up yourself and walk into your future and start unfolding that self in a way that suits yourself. You'll learn, you'll maybe take a few side paths and say, well, this isn't going where I want. And, you know, go back and, and go in another direction. There are no mistakes. It's a fabulous, the, the goal is to enjoy life. It's to enjoy feeling and every move you make, everything you see here and do is supposed to produce joy, supposed to produce some kind of enjoyment that we can say life is great because life is a system and it has to be maintained and we're the ones maintaining it here. 
Two more questions for you. If you knew you would lose the body soon, would you make any change in your life in this reality or do anything in a different way? Mm, I don't think so. I'm doing what I came here to do. Um, I'm hurrying because people don't, people are only open during a crisis. And we have a major crisis right now. And the crisis is actually, we all came here for this time because everybody knew that there was going to be a shift in consciousness and they wanted to be part of that. I think a lot of, of the souls here, the beings here, understood that Christ consciousness was going to be introduced and taught in an open way, and they wanted to be part of that. And so there's 8 billion of us, or almost 8 billion of us here now, and, and that gives us a huge amount of consciousness. If we put that together, even portions of that work together, there's nothing we can't do. And what we are here to do is to make that shift and to shift the reality to the next stage, which is to become um, much more of a, I'll say, a galactic neighbor uh, to, to open to what's going on, not just on our planet, but what's going on all around us on other planets, in other solar systems, with other races of beings. I think that's one of our next steps. Thank you so much, Penny, for your presence, your message, uh, your mission, your work, everything. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. I have one more question, but this is a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay. Uh, well, I have a website where I sell my books in digital format, and that's consciousnessonfire.com. I have a YouTube channel, it's uh, Penny Kelly on YouTube. I have a BitChute channel. I have a Patreon channel, Patreon slash Penny Kelly. And you can subscribe and, um, and get some pretty in-depth stuff, you know, perspective on what's going on. My books are all available on Amazon. So, um, you know, that's just type in books by Penny Kelly and they all come up. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Penny. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Would love to. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Penny Kelly and her work, please visit consciousnessonfire.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.